Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. It is indeed time for the parenting slot. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Good Joanna. afternoon. Uh, right, here's the first question. I have a 14-year-old son and up until uh, he began, began secondary school, he was a very chatty, funny boy. However, in recent years, I've started to notice a real mean streak in him and it's making me uneasy. He does stuff uh, that isn't bold or rude. It's actions that have malice behind them. For example, recently my husband won an award for playing golf and he broke it purposefully in front of us. He does similar things to his siblings and I just don't know why. It's starting to break my heart as I feel like uh, the person I know is disappearing. Myself and my husband feel at a disconnect mm. now and it's keeping me awake at night. I've tried different approaches like hard discipline and reasoning with him but nothing works. The situation is now starting to change me so I need to fix it. Can you oh. make some help? Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. So generally speaking, he's 14. He's in that early stage of adolescence. There's a whole lot of changes that are going on internally for him, neurologically, psychologically, psychosocially, all of that. And also, of course, physiologically. But what we do see happen quite quickly are these adjustments. You know, the part of the task of adolescence is to work towards autonomy mm. and independence and some, you know, some teenagers do it with a, some degree of refinement and some of them do it a little bit clumsier than others in how they go about this. So in order to do that, I have to differentiate myself from my parents, my family. I'm nothing like you. You don't know anything. I know everything. We tend to get, I'm really generalizing now, but those mm. kinds of behaviours. It can also manifest and often does with, you know, I want more privacy, so I tell you less. That can be very difficult if you're a parent who really wants to know everything and really wants to know more. It can be, you know, that I have to experiment with new tastes, styles, music, friends, anything that says I am my own person. And while it can be very challenging and have its moments of being, you know, deeply unpleasant, Mm. let's be honest, Mm -hmm. I was going to say another word, but let's call it deeply (laughs) unpleasant. At the same time, it is normal, quote unquote, to use that word. Now, one of the ways, you know, to look at this in another kind of angle is to think of it like a sieve and you're sieving through what might be difficult and unpleasant, but normal and see what's left, what's over and above the normal. Because there's things here like this parent is, is, you know, stating this isn't rudeness, it's something else, Mm. you know, because it, it, while it is normal as and everything I'm saying as part of autonomy, it can also be a sign, especially when it's at this over and above level of stress or anxiety in a teenager. It's a way of speaking something that I don't really have the words or emotional fluency to express verbally. So difficult feelings are difficult to contain. You know, they can, they're icky, uncomfortable. It's not very nice to sit with a difficult feeling. And one of the most effective ways to get rid of a difficult feeling is to evacuate it out of yourself and project it into somebody else. Have them feel the way you're feeling. Have them try to make sense of it. Sometimes in the hope that you'll give it back to me in bite-sized pieces that I can make sense of. But either way, I just want to get rid of it. You often hear that phrase, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And there is something to that. I mean, it's a very generalised comment, but people who are hurting will often lash out and hurt others. Now, all of what I'm saying, I don't mean to say, therefore, it's okay and don't worry Mm. about it. That's not it, because explaining is not the same as excusing. But it does help you to come at this from a place of empathy, because the best way to 
really reach a place of behavioral correction is to do it within an emotional connection. Because, you know, you've tried lots of things you're saying, but you've mentioned hard discipline. I don't really know what that means. Mm. I think that would mean different things to all of us and reasoning with him. But when you're aroused by fear, anxiety, when you're irritable, when you're wor- like, think yourself, you're not at your most reasoning no, best, are not. you? You know, no. you don't say, someone goes, sit down there now and explain exactly why you're behaving the way you do. That's not something you have access to because that requires, you know, that part of your brain responsible for executive function to be fully functioning, mm. which it clearly isn't, or you wouldn't be behaving the way you are. So it is about coming at it from a different way and empathy is always the best way to do it. And again, it doesn't mean you're being permissive or soft or saying anything goes. It is very clearly stating this isn't okay, And it's also not who you are. I know this behaviour is not who you are. And because of that, I'm curious as to what else might be going on. Because what I'm not hearing in here is, does this boy have friends? Does he have interests, hobbies? Is he connected to groups of people outside of the family? Because if he has friends in a friend group, he is capable of positive interaction and connection. Because mm. his friends aren't going to keep him around if he's yeah. behaving in a quote, you know, this what's described as a mean way. So, be curious, could there be an underlying reason that you don't know about? How are things in school? How are things with friends? Um, you know, also, you know, he he can't feel badly about himself and then see you think and feel badly about him because it's reinforcing that negative yeah. viewpoint. So if I'm feeling badly about myself and I look at you and you're also going, who are you? You know, this is awful. You know, your mm. behavior is out of control. I'm soaking up that emotional resonance and it's just reinforcing a negative sense of self. So you have to come at it from a place of kindness and connection. Uh, hard to do, I suppose. Very I imagine hard that to do you... because he's really pushing the buttons, isn't God, he? Like he's doing things. Yeah, because this isn't just giving them lip or staying out late. Hundred percent, yeah. because that would be in that kind of realm of difficult but normal. Yeah, this is designed to really be provocative, to really elicit a response from you all. So my question would be, why? So yeah. come at this from a place of look. This can't continue. This is not who you are. I know it's not who you are. I really want to help you. But to do that, I have to understand. And I'm also going to leave you with the question for this parent around, would your son be open to going to somebody outside of the family to think and talk some of this through? Mm. Either on his own or with you, they could consider doing a parent-teen approach, which we would in therapy speak call a dyadic approach, which is where it's not he's going to therapy or you're talking to a therapist, but your relationship is what the focus is. strengthening and enhancing your connection with each other to problem solve some of these issues. And there are a number of kind of specialist therapies that would fall in that realm. And that's something to consider. Now, he's not going to high five you and go, yes, therapy, that's what Mm. I've been looking for. Very few, not nobody, but very few teenagers will do that. But I think it has to happen within the context of a connected conversation, which you begin when you're calm and he's calm. And ideally outside of the house, driving in the car, going for a walk, somewhere you're side by side, not face on. Uh, Because I imagine he's 14. If he's feeling some intense emotion, he may not know where it it comes from or why it's there or even admit to it. No, and I mean, it's hard for any of us when Mm. you're so in something. It's very hard to have that perspective on you know, what is this about? And I don't really want to hurt my dad. I just want to let him know that I'm hurting. And this is a very clumsy way of doing it, but it is effective because Mm. now everybody's feeling what I'm feeling. Yeah. Now, uh, that person did mention hard punishment. Uh, Jaren Kilcullen says, uh, a new punishment for naughty kids, a day in the holding pen in Dublin airport. That'll (laughs) put manners on them. Ah, That's that's cruel and unusual punishment uh, there, Jaren, for anyone. 
On a related note, though, uh, I wonder if you could ask Joanna about fear in toddlers. My just-turned-two-year-old has become afraid of the sound of a helicopter passing over the house. We live close to Shannon, so there are usually two or three a day passing over. Nothing really happened. Just one day she was in the back garden and got upset when the helicopter flew over. We tried to reassure her, but she just wanted to go inside. It's been happening ever since, and no matter how we try to calm her, she bolts for the door. When it happens, you can feel her heart thumping in her chest. We talk about them to her, but even at the mention of the word, now she's trying to get in behind the sofa, and we can't expose her to them, as there isn't a set time of the the day uh, over every day. She's a little reluctant now when she gets to the back door. I just don't want her to spend her summer inside because she's afraid. The poor little thing. Oh, yeah. And I mean, look, fears in toddlers are surprisingly common. They're mostly and especially typically transient. You know, they pass by it's a a difficult phase and then it moves Mm. on. You know, one of the most common ones we see and often hear about here actually on this slot is around separation anxiety or, you know, fear of the dark or, you know, things like that are very common. This is quite specific on helicopters but when you think about it you know you might think gosh you know those those kids shows and cartoons that have helicopters go with that but the real helicopters don't look and sound like they do no, on no. TV let's be honest I mean they're not you know the the noise can be you know very strong very loud and mm. especially if it's unexpected because I don't know when it's going to happen yeah. and I happen to be standing out and hear it very loudly so she may have some sensory sensitivity just to that sound and it might you know the approach might be breaking down that the empathise with that noise was really loud. That noise might have hurt your ears. You know, it's just a helicopter though. And then you talk about what the helicopter is and does. But I think the the key is reassure her in the moment of the fear activation. You know, and you do that with a two-year-old by holding, rocking, swaying, singing, being physically present and being with her in that. Don't minimise or dismiss it, but focus on how she can recover from it, um, how she can be regulated out of that kind of fear state. But One of the things is like when we want our kids, don't worry about it, just calm down. If you want your Mm. children to calm down, we have to be the calm (laughs) through which they're calm. Well, how many adults people say that to as well? (laughs) No, but in the history of being told to calm down, has it ever worked for you? I mean, it really doesn't, especially for children, but they they co-regulate with us. So we have to stay calm regulated, use that kind of lullaby-esque sing-song tone of voice because you're prosody. So it's not even what you say, but how you're saying Mm. it that's going to co-regulate and reassure her and then move to distraction and redirection. And you're just going to build up that, okay, I get a bit worried, but I quickly come out of it when I'm with a safe, trusted person. Um, And then you do bring her out to the garden afterwards as quick as possible because I hear in this, you know, you don't want her staying indoors for fear of one. Now, there are some nice little children's books. I don't think the first thing you do is go, you're afraid of helicopters. Here's a book on helicopters because that's a a little bit much. But building up to it to increase her tolerance um, and an interest in them beyond the noise. There's one called... um, Look, there's a helicopter. It's by Esther Arts. And the focus in the book is... <laughs> it's mad. There's a kid's book for everything. everything. Yeah. I mean, absolutely everything. There is a bunny, bear or vehicle out there having every life crisis known to child. But this one is... The focus in it is... um what you can see from the helicopter. Mm. So it's not about the mechanics of the helicopter, but it's, oh, when you're up here, look at all you can see down there. And it, it creates a bit of, oh, that's interesting. And yes, wow, yeah. and look, and a bit like that. There is another one um, called On a Helicopter. It's a bit more about the helicopter, though. And it's by uh, Rosalind Albert. Both are quite nice. Mm. I, I really like the first one, though, um, because it uh, it does focus on 
what the the good points of being in a helicopter. But basically, you're, you want to you want to focus on if you were in a helicopter, imagine what you could see. Everybody would look really small on the ground, and mm. so would the buildings. But don't force it. If you're saying yeah. the use of that word is enough, then don't go out and buy a load of books and say, let's really immerse ourselves in it. <laughs> Focus instead on co-regulating and soothing her because that way she's going to be calmer about the helicopter. Yeah, because I suppose the helicopter is much closer to the ground. They are and really so, loud. So a plane tends to be kind of, more, mm-hmm. you know, it's a more graceful arc during yeah. the sky. It's higher up. but uh, And especially sometimes if they're close to Shannon. And the other way, sometimes helicopters yeah. just like hang around on top of your... That could be, you know, uh, that can be quite frightening. Yeah, really and the other. noise is and a the lot. the noise is unbelievable. You know, it is yeah. a lot. Um, and especially if they were down low. So I think a lot of empathy, like she's reacting to something very specific. Mm. And we can all say, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, I get why she'd be scared. So just focus on the soothing regulating as your first protocol with this one. Uh, right. Next question is one we've had, I don't know, a million times before. <laughs> uh, could you please ask your uh, ask Joanna about a 20-month-old biting other children, the reasons for it, and any advice on how to stop it? I, I love how succinct this is. Yeah, it's very, know, very to it's the point. Well done. Why and yeah. what will I do about it? Um, it's, you know, I feel like I'm using that word a lot today. It is unfortunately very normal because mm. when you're 20 months old, you have a limited vocabulary, you have limited verbal expression and w- a very effective way to express frustration is to not unlike the teenager we spoke about but act it out on somebody else. So small children the most common reason they bite is frustration. They have a very low frustration threshold and they're quite impulsive. You know Mm. their impulse control is underdeveloped at best. Okay. Um, And when they want something they want it now. So delayed gratification isn't within their grasp either. So you get these kind of flashpoints of acting out. So as I said, but when language builds up as it is going to steadily from this point, I have other ways of expressing myself that isn't biting. The other reason small children this age bite is often when they're cutting a tooth because it feels nice to bite into something fleshy and to feel that on your sore gums. So it can be a sensory seeking behaviour in and of itself. So the best thing is you can't sit down and say, come here, listen, there's loads of other things you could be doing now instead of that. And this is causing you all (laughs) kinds of trouble because whoever you're biting is going home with marks. And especially if your child is in a daycare situation, they will be raising this with you because they have to. They have a duty of care to the bitee as well as the biter. I know, absolutely. And, And, you know, we have had this in, but so many times parents go, oh my God, what's my child's a monster. I kind of think the way the, it just news is delivered to them rather than, well, there's four others over there biting each oh, other. You absolutely. Know. It really is. And it does pass, but that doesn't mean it's easy when it's happening. So what you're going to do is say a gentle yet firm no, no biting, and then redirect and distract into something they can do while mm. keeping hands and child busy. If they have bitten another child... First, you come in and you say you're no biting, but then you attend to the injured child. But bear in mind, a 20 month old doesn't do cause and effect. They're not going, oh, that poor injured victim of my actions. They're just thinking, I'm still frustrated. Can I have the toy? So redirect and distract and keep redirecting and distracting is is actually all you can do. Right. Next question. This is an interesting one. My son and his girlfriend have been going out for about six months, but I'm concerned about some of her behaviour. She seems quite controlling about what they do and who they see. She expects him to meet her her, after her extracurricular activities, singing lesson, basketball parties, etc., to walk her home. He insists he has to have his phone with him at all times in case she messages him. 
and he's not spending as much time with his friends anymore. Is this just teenage infatuation or should I be concerned that he's giving too much of himself to her? I mean, there's a lot in here, you know, that I, you don't say how old he is, mm. but I'm inferring he's early adolescence. Yeah, it's um, teenage, as she yeah, says. Yeah, and it, it definitely sounds like it could be a first relationship. And first relationships do tend to be quite intense. Mm. You know, it's, well, I want to be the best kind of partner I can be. And it's all, you know, intense feelings, intense love and being everything to each other. And not to minimise it because it's very real and it's really important as part of teenage development and learning about myself, myself in relation to others and, and how to negotiate, navigate relationships. But a key part of navigating relationships is, of course, boundaries. And that's the piece that I'm picking up on here. I'm wondering if you've spoken with him. Now, I mean, speak with him with curiosity, with interest, <laughs> but not judgment and truckloads of advice because nobody wants unsolicited advice. Yeah. And he may not think there's anything wrong with this relationship he has. He may be perfectly happy in it. But if you just express curiosity going, oh, you've been going out together for six months. You know, how are you guys getting on? You know, I can't remember how you met. How did you know this is the person for me? I really want to be in a relationship with this person. You know, and is it like you thought it would be? Be interested and share a little bit. Oh, God, I remember, you know, when I started dating, I had a relationship. Now, don't use it as a cautionary tale, just little bits of sharing. (laughs) So it sounds conversational, not like an interrogation or that you're building up to something. You can also, though, gently reflect about how we all need multiple connections. And this is true. Like we all need multiple connections and relationships. And we thrive when we have time with family and friends and partners. And we also thrive when we have enough time away from other people. Mm. Okay, so you need that time together and you need that time apart just because it's good for us. You know, it's good for us to invest in ourselves. And if there is the whole thing about why don't you go out with your friends this evening or haven't seen the guys in a while? Do you want to ask any friends over for pizza, for whatever? Do you want to come hang out in the house or the garden if it's good weather, have a barbecue? You know, maybe suggest a few things like that. But I really would keep the doors of communication open and be interested, Mm. not intrusive, curious not judgmental and they really shouldn't be fine lines but they can be you yes. know with the best of intentions we go in with our agenda and we're got, we push it too far too fast but if he seems happy and content in the relationship give enough space that he can explore it and experience it himself and let him know you're available to think and talk the trickier parts out loud with yeah Okay, and it's impossible to tell how he might receive any of this. He might just go, "Are you all right, Grant? Why are you, yeah. why are you talking to me about this?" Yeah, or but you, it know, does, you don't. But you're still letting him know you're interested, and you can be spoken to about it. So yeah. if he has anything that he'd like to think and talk out loud, you are available, and that's why the crucial thing is that you're not going in going, "I think you're spending too much time with that girl." Oh yeah, because absolutely. that's going to shut it down straight away. No, but I suppose what I mean is that at his age. And it's all new to him and he's wrapped mm-hmm. up with his first love and all this kind of stuff. And when you're, you know, let's assume he's 15 or something, that, that he looks at his his parents and just can't imagine them being like that. You have like no that. clue. You have no clue what this is like. Yeah. yeah. And so there, any interjection from them is like, you know, uh, why don't I ask, you know, a, a lamppost uh, yeah. um, about their experience of this? As, as and, much you know, as and invite does. her over. Mm. He makes yeah, sure he yeah. knows that she's, and I'm sure she already does by the sounds, you know, quite a bit going on. But, you know, that she's welcome over to join your family for dinner and get to know her. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Uh, best of luck with that, though. <laughs> uh, um, the uh, the uh, fellow who's being mean, somebody says, 
This is really relevant at all. I'd say some of the poor lad's problem is a father who won a golf tournament. Does anyone realise how much golf a person has to play to win at it? An extremely selfish sport meant for childless people and the retired. That's an opinion. That's an opinion, and it's a golf-related opinion, and not I have necessarily no opinion a, on golf. Not necessarily a, a parenting <laughs> one. I, I, I suspect there may be a, uh, there may be a story behind that, and a painful one. Joanna, thanks a million Thank for coming you. in as ever. Joanna Fortune, there. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break. After that, beware the killer goldfish. Moncrief, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.